Father, we come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you because you're good. You're always good. Out of your goodness, the riches of your kindness, we have received grace upon grace, O Lord, in our lives. Your mercies that are new every morning. So we just want to thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. And we want to praise you, Lord, because of who you are. How great thou art, O Lord. For there is none, absolutely none like thee. There will be never, ever one like thee. And we worship you this morning because you are holy. We lift our hearts and our minds towards you, Lord, putting aside everything else. Because we have come, we have come for the ministry of the word. And you have magnified your word above all your name. Help us also, Lord, to magnify your word. Speak to us, teach us. Through the final revelation you gave your servants. So that we are prepared for the hour, the day of your coming. We just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. Be with your people everywhere. Protect them, empower them, provide them for them. Meet them at their point of need, O God, everywhere. Each one's need is different, but you are our provision. So we come in. Back. These things says the Son of God who has eyes to commit sexual immorality and children with death. All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and they will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We come now to the fourth church, Thyatira after Ephesus. Smyrna, Pergamum, we come. And this is the longest letter Jesus writes to those, among those seven, seven churches. And if you look, if you remember, I said introduction to each church is different. And this introduction is as awesome as it is scary. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, these things says the Son of God whose eyes who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. If you go back to Revelation 1, 14 and 15, we have a similar description. And then we'll go to verse 13. Okay, Revelation 1, 14. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. So description is there in Revelation 1. But if you go to Revelation 1.13, you will see 
He is introduced there as one like the Son of Man. Okay, Son of Man. While in Revelation 2.18, he is called the Son of God. Okay, the Son of Man tells us, it's more comforting because it tells us about his humanness and his understanding of our weaknesses. But when it is the Son of God, that is, verse 18, you will see it's talking about his deity, his holiness, and his authority to judge. The Savior in Revelation 1 has become the judge in Revelation 2. So the Bible talks about his eyes. First it talks about his eyes. There is has eyes like the flame of fire. It's got laser vision. He will see through everything and his feet that will judge everything, trample every sin. Okay? That fire, as the writer of Hebrews will say, reminds that our God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Habakkuk will say this about God's eyes. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13. 1, 13 and then Hebrews 4, 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Okay? That's the nature of God's eyes. That's so, so pure. They cannot look at evil. Hebrews 4.13, Jesus is called, remember, the word of God and says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jeremiah 23 and verse 24 says this. 23, Can anyone hide himself in secret places so that I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. So we are here see Jesus. And he says to this, because in this church, if you study carefully, there is a secret group within the church. Okay, And he sees at an individual level and at a corporate level, he says, I see through everything. In Revelation 19, when Jesus ultimately comes to judge the whole world, in Revelation 19, verses 11 and 12, his eyes are described, and in verse 15, his feet are described. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Then he talks about his feet in verse 15. What does his feet do? Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with which he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You see, this is not the kind of picture of Jesus we are used to. We are not used to this picture of Jesus because we make him like a wimpy, long-haired, blue-eyed kind of a person, but that is not who he is. Okay, this is not the picture of Jesus that is rarely preached. But this is the Jesus who is coming back. This is the Jesus who is coming back. And this is the final, lasting picture of Jesus given by Revelation to Apostle John. And in his usual style, he begins with commendation. So if you look at each of these churches, how he introduces himself will tell you something about the church. 
Okay. In the earlier one, you will see that they have false doctrine. So you will see his induction is different. But here you have two pillars that brings churches down. That is, it can't be called pillars, but in terms of uh, explaining it, one is idolatry and the other is immorality. They usually follow together. Okay. He begins with commendation. And if you look at verse 19, the list is very impressive in verse 19. I know your works. Okay, this is, this is constant refrain, and we need to realize God knows everyone's works. He says, "I know your works," and then the list is awesome. Okay, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. You will see in every church, fallen church, whatever. There's always a group of people who are faithful. And unlike the church in Ephesus, remember the first one? Here they seem not to have forsaken their first love. Remember in that love is not mentioned. Here they have not forsaken their first love. He first commends their love, he commends their faith, their service, and perseverance, meaning just common during that time. This church also must have faced what you call persecution. And they had patience. They they survived it. And not only that, the most important part about that is in the last part he says, as for your works, the last are more than first. Okay, this is one of the things Peter comments in Second Peter, if you come to words chapter one, words five to eight. For as for this very reason, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Seven things. And then it says in verse things, for if these things are yours and abound. Okay, meaning spiritual growth cannot be static. It should grow. If it grows, then the Bible says, then you have made your election sure. You will have a very rich reward. So that's what he's talking about this church. You know what? You have all these good things. And not only that, your works are more now than before. That's one of a very good way to judge ourselves. Okay, very good way to judge ourselves. Like we are now in the ninth month, right? We don't call it quarter. Quarter is usually three months. Yeah, what do you call four months? I don't know. Okay, if you divide the year into three parts, we are into the third, okay, third section. We can look back and ask, have I increased or have I decreased? Or is it static? He's talking about them and saying that you have increased, you know. But if you look at it, it's so hard to imagine that a church with such a great list of commendations could have such a Fatal flaw right in its middle. And the flaw is fatal. You don't see this kind of indictment against any of the churches. In verse 20, he says, I have this against you. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. It's very sober words. If Jesus has something against you, you need to be careful, right? It is not being sinless and perfect in a body in a fallen world, but it's becoming blameless in the sight of God. He says, I have this, nevertheless, I have few things against you. 
And it all began with one word, if you look at this. I have a few things against you because you allow or you tolerate. Other versions will use the word you tolerate. Please understand the religion of 21st century is tolerance. There's a difference between compromise and tolerance, okay? Is tolerance. Okay. This church, Thyatira, has Pergamum compromised in doctrine, but Thyatira tolerated two things, adultery and sexual immorality, which always we see in the old covenant onwards. These things go together. These are the two things that led to the destruction of Israel and to their exile. And he's warning the church, your problem is never outside. Your problem is inside. Like we keep saying, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Church is always an individual Christian or a church is always destroyed from inside. 21st century religion is Thyatira. It is called tolerance. And if you speak against any kind of sin, they will call you intolerant. And there you will see there is a woman involved. Okay, Her name is Jezebel. In Pergamum, there is a man. It's not a man, but his doctrine called Balaam. A false doctrine has come. And in Thyatira, there is a woman called Jezebel of the doctrine of Balaam. They go down. 24,000 die that day. Another is when Solomon and all his foreign wives, which bring idolatry. After that, it is Jeroboam who makes those two altars, two calves, remember. After that is when Ahab marries Jezebel, the daughter of Ithabal. It is Jezebel that actually led Israel into false religion, to worship the Baals and Asterit. Jezebel primarily, if you look at Old Testament funded the false prophets, 850 of them at her table, while she hunted the true prophets of God until Elijah is kindly, is kind of the last man standing. There are three words if you need to look at, verse 24, three, three, verse 24 over there, so we'll see how it happens. Now to you in Thyatira and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan. Remember in uh, Smyrna, it was the synagogue of Satan that was troubling them. In Pergamum, it is the throne of Satan. But in Thyatira, it is the depths of Satan. These are secret, occultic teaching. That's how cults function. It's always secret. So you have these three things. One is the synagogue of Satan. That was Pergamum. Sorry, Smyrna. Then you have Pergamum, which is the, which is the throne of Satan. And here it is the depths of Satan. So you will see in church history, Satan is always active in different ways. In verse 20, it says, she calls herself a prophetess. And if you look at it, that's been the issue of 21st century church too. There are so many self-appointed apostles and prophets. Okay, They were not called by God. They were not sent by God. She calls herself a prophetess. 
And what does she do? She teaches. She teaches. So remember, this is written to the head of the church, the pastor of the church. So the indictment is actually against him and the leadership because he has allowed her to teach. If you go to First Timothy chapter 2 and verses 11 to 15, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul lays down the rules of ministry in the church. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man to be in silence. Okay, so this is this is what, and this is where it goes wrong. And if you look at so many of the cults, you will see at the top there is a woman. There is a woman. Okay, and this is where churches struggle and they fight over it. They fight. If you look at the Baptist Union, Saddleback uh, Church has left. Uh, they have been excommunicated from it and you will see it's because they ordained female pastors. And the Baptist Union kicked them out. Okay, because this is something, this is fundamental. There are reasons God gives as to why. It's got nothing to do with equality. It's got to do with order. There is an order which God has established. So you will see the the reasons he gives. In verse 13, he gives the reason. The first reason is order. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. The first reason is the order. By reason of order, he goes all the back to Genesis chapter 1. Like we always say, whenever you want to look at anything, go to the beginning. In the beginning, God created man. He did not create woman. So in the order, man comes first. And then only the woman comes and he therefore does not give woman the right to teach. Because when you teach, you're exercising authority. Exercising authority. To usurp authority. So he says the first reason why a woman cannot teach in the church, exercise authority over man because it's of order. The order is man is created first, woman is created second. Then, the second reason is that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So when it comes to deception, also, woman is more susceptible to deception than to, than man. And right in the beginning, you will see Adam was not deceived. Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived. Because God has made man and women differently, because man usually the norm has changed because of all the confusion that is taking place but usually man operates on reason and woman operates on emotions and emotions if they are your masters they always deceive you so the first reason god says is why i do not allow woman to exercise authority is one the question of order man is okay so you cannot have a woman as the head of a church it has to be man, because that's the order. Second, you cannot have a woman as the head of the church, because what will happen is deception will come in. Because it's easily, she will make emotional decisions. While decisions cannot be emotional, emotions can only serve your decisions, and sometimes emotions may be absolutely contrary to the decision you make, because you know that is truth. Because truth doesn't have feelings. Truth doesn't have feeling. The truth is that if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, we are doomed. And there are no feelings attached to it. The feelings are against the cross. Father, take this cup away from me. On the other hand, if Jesus had come as a woman, she would not have probably died. She would have given into her feelings. Okay? So that's what God is talking about. The first thing is that emotions 
will lead to deception, which will lead to transgression. Okay? And the third thing he says is this, nevertheless she'll be saved in childbearing. What does it actually mean? Actually meaning in this context is that if a woman goes into leadership, into headship, home will always suffer. A man cannot actually run a home because he is not created for that. He is not tuned towards that. The woman is the one who is tuned to run her home, to take care of the children, to watch over them 24-7. Her mind is always around the home. But a woman goes on to a leadership position anywhere. You will see almost always the home suffers. Okay. So in verse 12, that same chapter, verse 12, we see that, no? That one word, I do not permit, go to verse 11, okay? Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. That's the key word, okay? This is the key word. It's a key word. Let a woman learn in silence. No, that word called submission. And this is consistent in the Bible, consistent in the Bible. If you go to Ephesians 5 and verse 22, Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. The protection is as to the Lord. Okay, He's not the Lord, but you submit to him in the Lord. Meaning, if you woman is asked to do by her husband, that is contrary to Christ. Because remember, his head is Christ. She does not have to submit. She does not have to submit. Because there are parameters God puts. Okay, This is not blanket, blind submission. It's not that. Then it becomes tyranny. It learns, goes into abuse and misuse of authority. Like authority has to be either used. If it's not used properly, it will become misuse and become abuse. So submission is submission to authority. And the one who wields authority to him, if your submission is unconditional, it will lead to abuse. So God puts the condition over there. It is as to the Lord. Because the head of that man is Christ. And if the head of that man is not Christ, and the man go asks us to submit according to whims and his fancies, which leads to abuse and misuse, he actually tells the woman, back off. Back off. Okay, then Colossians 3.13. 18, 18, 3.18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as it, as is fitting in the Lord. Again, you will see, the protection comes over. Remember the whole thing, because... Power and authority flows from God. None of us have any authority vested in ourselves. We do not have. Okay. When we finally finish the wedding and when we proclaim them husband and wife, the terms that we use is by the authority vested in us, the ecclesiastical authority vested in us by the church and the authority given to us through license by the government, we declare you husband and wife. Because a man has no power to declare anybody husband and wife. Who is he? He cannot declare. But he needs authority. And because it's taking place in church, within a country, he needs authority from two sources. He needs authority from God, which is the church, and then he needs authority from the system. That's why we have a license. Okay. So no human being has, we only have delegated authority. It is God who gives Adam delegated authority. So husbands do not have an authority of themselves. Their authority comes from God. And when they are given that authority, I remember which wedding, I don't know, one wedding I preached, <coughs> I said, 
The purpose of authority is that. The first purpose of authority is responsibility. See, before woman is created, God puts Adam responsible for two things. One to work and two to protect. To take care and to protect. So he is made with responsibility. And second thing you will need with authority comes accountability. That's why in the church I will always tell people, don't do things connected with the church on your own. Get a feedback from me because if anything goes wrong, it will come back to me. The box stops with me, it will come back to me. So keep me posted that you are doing something. Keep me posted in the same way. God says, that's how it works. So two things are there with authority. One is responsibility and the other is accountability. And you will see in the Garden of Eden after the fall takes place and it is Eve who is deceived and starts the whole process. You will see Adam was with her, with her, and he failed in his responsibility to protect. He didn't stop. He didn't stop. He didn't intervene at all. So he failed in his headship. Because that was his job, to watch. He didn't. And when God comes, he doesn't go to Eve. He goes to Adam because you are responsible. You are responsible. So you have to understand how authority works. Wives, submit your own husbands as it, as is fitting in the Lord. If you come to First, chap- first Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 onwards. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own. So you will see everywhere, whether it is in the context of a home, because we come from a home to a church, in the church, there is something that is demanded that one word modern world hates. Submission to your own husbands. Now here what is happening is to a man who does not obey the word. He said it is not Christ. He says, likewise be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. He says, you know what? Sip your lip. He doesn't obey God. He is not interested. So you, he has to be won over by your conduct. And it begins with submission. So in Revelation 2.20, what is happening is the pastor who definitely, pastor who is definitely a male, it is the tolerance of that pastor. What did he allow? First, he allowed a woman. That is where it begins. He allows a woman. Second, a woman is picked up, a symbol of the one of the worst women in the old covenant, Jezebel. Jezebel, and if you look at it, Jezebel is married to Ahab. Okay, Jezebel is a very strong woman, and Ahab is a very weak woman, weak man. Okay, it's a, it's a deadly combination, and she actually usurps the authority. She he sits on the throne, but she holds the strings. She holds the strings. Okay, and so nevertheless, because first thing you allow, you allow. The woman Jezebel, okay, who calls herself a prophetess. She has called herself, given a name tag. What did you allow her, that prophetess to do, false prophetess to do? You allowed her to teach. You allowed her to teach. While I have not given authority for women to teach in, because when you teach, what happened? You're exercising authority. Like when I'm teaching, I'm exercising her authority because my words are going into your minds. 
And who controls the mind? Controls your thinking, controls your action. And he says, you know what? I do not allow a woman to teach. Woman to teach. I do not allow a one. There is an issue with order. Second, there is an issue with deception. Third, she is messing up our home. Three things happen. So another generation will also rise up who is messed up because she changed her position. So God has given reasons as to why. And Okay, so here. And what does her teaching do? Her teaching seduces. Seduction is very, very subtle. Seduction is very, very subtle. Okay, seduction is very, very subtle. Okay, he says her teaching, through her teaching, she seduces my servants to what? To sexual immorality and to idolatry. That's what she does. Okay, so now what is happening is here, this is the advocacy. You are now advocating, you are not just compromising. Now you are advocating two things, immorality and idolatry. Okay, this is literally what happens. Literally what happens. Okay, idolatry. This is what Jezebel did, brought into Israel. And this church has gone into that and God says, you know what, it's time to repent. In verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Okay, he says, God has appointed a time. Even with Ahab, if you notice, God gives time for him to repent. But he did not repent. But they repented not. Okay. And you know the end of it. This is, this is very, very proper. Like when we come to the last, because when we look at over there, if I'm right in words, uh, 24, if I'm right, that same chapter. Let me give it to you. Revelation 2. Twenty-three, twenty-three, twenty-three. Okay, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know. So it is not just written to one church; it is written as a warning to all churches of all times. Because what happens is, if you're going to pinpoint this to one particular church in one particular time, we don't really understand. This is not written to one particular church in a particular time. It is written to all churches in all times. And actually, by the time we come to the end of time, it becomes actually becomes relevant. Because these things is how it will play out. And if you look at Jezebel's end in Second Kings chapter 9, 33 to 35, It's a prophetic picture. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses. And he trampled her underfoot. When he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, go now, see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Because the dogs had eaten her. So they could only put a few body parts and bury. Okay. Now if you want to see the parallel of this that has been happening for the past few hundred years, is that in all those Western churches, there was a secret, there is a secret cult which is called Freemasonry. It's a secret cult called Freemasonry. And this is exactly what happens over there. There's a group within a group. 
This is exactly what happens. And if you know their stories, when they die and they are buried, if you were to actually open their coffins and look for the bodies, the body parts are missing. It's prophetic. For thousands of years, the same thing plays over and over and over again. And God says, you know what? I'm warning you. I'm warning you. He says, I'm warning you. So he says, I gave you time to repent. But she did not repent. Okay, so this is one indictment against the church. You did not repent. So what will I do? He says, you wanted a bed for pleasure? I will give you another bed. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. She did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. So God says, you know what? The word there used is the word called tribulation. Okay, And not only that, in verse 23, it goes beyond her. Where those who have swallowed that doctrine are called her children. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Okay. So God is, I mean, this is one of the toughest indictments on a church in the entire Bible. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 29 to 31. Why? He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. The sleep there is actually, they say, means dead. Many die. Why? Because if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So that's what he is telling the church in Thyatira. I've given you time to judge. You did not judge and repent. So what I'm going to do is that I will put you in the sick bed and I will put all those who are partners with you into severe tribulation and those who follow, those who are birthed out of your teaching. He says, you know what? I will judge you with death. I will judge you with death. So that what? All churches will know. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16, this is what John says. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. This is one of those very rare verses in the New Testament over which people still tremble. And this is John writing. You see, we don't want to see the other side of the gospel. We want to see one side of the gospel, but we don't want to see the other side of the gospel because these are doctrines. If you if you know the names, we saw the doctrine of Balaam. We saw the doctrine of Nicolaitans. There is something called antinomianism. Antinomianism was a doctrine which was there in the church, still is there in the church, where it says that this body is not going to be saved. 
body is not good. There's no salvation for this body, only for the soul and the spirit. The body will go to the grave and ultimately will get a sinless new body. Therefore, since the body is not going to be saved, it does not matter what you do with the body. What you do with the body. See, your doctrine will ultimately determine your life. Determine. On the other hand, if you believe that your body is the temple of God, then you will start fighting the things that afflict the body and not tolerate. Here the whole issue is with tolerance. Okay, So this is where it comes because people, again, you need to realize, I'll show you one verse, how people misquote Romans 5.20 without 21. Okay, 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This is how they say. So it doesn't matter. The more we sin, the more grace we get. It does not matter because we are living in the age of grace. But that is not what grace means. In 21, grace says, as sin reigned in death. So how should grace reign? Grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. But they, will, they won't talk 21. They will only talk 20. And you will say, it does not matter because you know what? These are all teachings in the ancient church down to today. Okay, so God says, you know what? If you don't repent, I will take you out. He says, I have given. If you look in verse 21, okay, he uses a word which is very, very specific to this life. Not Romans 2, sorry, Revelation 2.21. Yeah. I gave her what? Time. I gave her time. This is, and like I told you, you know, time is a, uh, time is a concept of this creation, this life. Time is a concept. You don't have time on the other side. We go into timelessness. That's why whether you are in heaven or hell, it is called eternal. It is called forever and ever. So time is something which we receive here. How much time we have, nobody knows. Nobody has any clue how much time, like you know, like I said on Sunday, so many thousands went to sleep in Marrakesh and then they didn't wake up. Death toll has gone over 2,000. Okay, so many people, so many people know. So we do not know how much time and God is saying that I have, I gave her time to repent and she did not repent. So don't misunderstand the patience of God. Don't ever think we have all the time in the world because we do not know. Nobody knows. In Isaiah 42 and verse 14, I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Okay, this God is saying, I said, I have, helped, I have given a long time. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. He says, time is up for you, Israel. 57 and verse 11. I said 57 and verse 11. And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remembered me, not taken it to your heart? Is it not because I have held my peace from of old that you do not fear me? He says, is it because I just stayed my hand? And nothing seems to be happening, he says. If you go to Psalm 50 and verse 21. Psalm 50 and verse 21. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. 
Okay. Because I was silent, you thought I was tolerant. God says, I'm never tolerant. It is one thing, I'm never, never tolerant. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. That's what God is saying. That all the churches will know who I am. In Romans, this is what the word of God says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 6. Okay? 4 to 6. Romans 2. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and his forbearance, which means long-suffering or patience, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And in, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Remember long ago I said about this verse and says that if we are not repenting, time is our enemy. It's not our friend. We are only storing up wrath. We are only storing up wrath. Because the purpose time is given is so that we change. We change and are conformed more and more and more in the image of Christ. But on the other hand, if we are not changing, time is not my friend. Time is my enemy. Time is my enemy. Because what I am doing is that I am actually storing up more and more and more wrath. Okay. So this is, that's what God is saying. Don't misunderstand the patience of God. So, going back, going back there, he says, no? Yeah. And verse 22, yeah? And verse uh, 23. I will kill her children with death. You see, it doesn't stop with us. It moves on. The iniquity moves on. If you want to take it literally, the iniquity moves on. Okay? And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. This is the thing which we need to understand. He is the God who searches or knows the minds and the hearts of every one of us. If you go to Luke chapter 7, it's interesting, you know, we know these verses, but let's look at Luke 7, 39 and 40. He's in Simon the leper's house. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Something to say to you. You know, the entire conversation is because Jesus read his mind. Jesus read his mind. He knew what he was thinking. Okay. In John chapter 5 and verse 42. This is Jesus in the flesh, okay? But I know you. That you do not have the love of God in you. It's a terrible indictment, okay? Imagine after all, you're chilling the Ephesus church, you know? You're good, you're good, you're good. But I know something. You don't have the love of God in you. You do not have the love of God in you. Okay, and he's telling us, I know. In John chapter 2 and verse 25. Had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So God tells the church here, I'm the one who searches the hearts and the minds of everyone. So if you look into David's psalm or Psalm 139, it begins with these words, one to six. It begins with these words. It's a wise man, okay? Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
you have searched me and known me. Okay, for, for those who are taking heart from that message, I am the one who searches the hearts and minds. Go to Psalm 139 and see how your response, how our response should be. You have searched me. You have known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from far off. Far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. And the whole psalm talks about it. But the response is in verse 23 and 24. What is the response of to a God who knows our hearts and our minds? Meaning our attitude, our emotions, our feelings and our words. This can lie. You can say something and not mean it at all. That's why he says, I search your hearts and your minds. I know both. You can think or say something and you are, that's why he says, everything is open before him. So the attitude, the response to this is, this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the response of the psalmist. Okay. So he says in verse 23, right? I'm the one who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So in the same chapter, Romans 2, we read from 4. Now go to verse 6 and 8, 6 to 8. Okay. Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good Seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Please understand, we are not saved by works. But those who are saved and those who are not saved ultimately will be rewarded or judged by their works. Okay. Then going back to verse 24. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira. So there is this group which is part of this and another group which is not part of it. So you have to understand this is a secret group within the group. Okay, As many as do not have this doctrine and do not know the depths of Satan. That's why I said it's occultic. occultic. So in... Smyrna, you had the synagogue of Satan, which was creating all the trouble. In Pergamum, you had the throne of Satan. And in Thyatira, it is a, a cult group, the depths of Satan. And if you look at all these cultist groups, okay, they have secrets. Your secrets in all religions. Every religion has a secret occultic side. Okay, occultic side. And the occultic side is secret chants and secret mantras and secret, and it's basically the invoking of the demonic. Okay, and in the Christian one, which has infiltrated the big one, are the Freemasons, the occultic group. And they claim their power all the way to Solomon and Hiram. Remember that guy? Okay, it is where they go, and it's all got to do with secret knowledge. Okay, so you, they have all kinds of, and there also they have adultery, which is 
the, the, the demonic statues and they have immorality, the orgies that goes on because in the satanic kind of worship, this always has to be there. Always has to be there. And he's, that's what he's talking about, the depths of Satan. But he says, even if, and if you look at Western churches, all these churches, there are lots and lots, and people do not know. Many people don't even know their pastors and eldership are all Freemasons, even in this city. They don't know. And they sit in those churches. Sit in those churches. Okay? And this is, did, did not start yesterday or today. This has been there right from the beginning. It's been, these groups have infiltrated, and God talks about them as knowing the depths of Satan. And this is always secret knowledge. This knowledge will not be revealed unless you become part of them. And to become part of them, you have to go through certain all kinds of covenants and ordinances and it's all closed in secrecy. But the church is a very open thing. There's nothing secret about the church. Everything is open. All the teachings are open. All the gatherings are open. Only in underground church to escape from persecution, they may gather in secret. But none of the teachings are secret because the gospel is called to be sent out to the world. So in a gospel that has to be preached and made available to everyone, how can you have something that is secret? Not even Jesus kept anything secret. He told his disciples at the end, I call you my friends because everything my father has told me, I have taught him. There's nothing secret about this. Nothing secret about it. So we need to understand what is happening over here in Thyatira. He says, but you are there and you have not gone become part of it. You are not. So you know what I will do? I will not put any other burden on you. It's a huge, it's a huge, huge commendation. No other burden. No other burden. Because your doctrine is right. Your works are good. You have love and you have patience. I will put it, no, I'm not asking anything more from you. Nothing more from you. You're good. So you need to look at this, what we talk about Israel. Remember, two or three weeks back, we talk, talked about always this thing called the remnant. There is always a remnant. Even in Israel, there is a remnant. In every generation, there is a remnant. In the midst of persecution, in when people fall away, in the midst of false doctrine, there are those who fight for doctrine. In the midst of all these culty groups, there will be even among them those who are fighting and hang in there. There's always a remnant. Even in this church, there is a remnant. And to that remnant, he says, I'll put on you no other burden. This is all I ask you. Verse 25. Hold fast what you have till I come. He says, don't let go. Okay, Even to the good church, Philadelphia, he tells the same thing. Hang in there. Let nobody steal. It is not good enough to hang into all these for a season. You have to, it's, it's not about even starting the race or running the race, ultimately it's crossing the finishing line. It's crossing the finishing line. Okay, That's what Paul is talking about through his letters. And if you am right, it is Acts 25-24 or 24-25. 25-24 if I'm right. Okay, okay then try 24-25. Twenty-five. Where he said, no, all I want is to finish my race. Twenty? 
Yeah, 2024. There was a 24 there, okay. 2024, okay. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may, that is the key, I may finish. I may finish. And he knows in so many places he has not finished until he comes to his final letter. That's the key. That's what he's telling this church, okay. I will not put any burden, but you need to finish. You need to finish the way you are now. You need to finish the way you are. You may finish my joy and the ministry. I want to complete my ministry. That is, I told you, these two journeys we are all taking. There are two journeys. The first journey is internal. It's not external. It's internal. Okay, it's an internal journey of sanctification. And then there is an external, the ministry of witness, whatever ministry God has committed to each one. And he's talking about that. I have to finish my internal and have to finish my external. That I, the ministry, I may finish my race and finish my ministry, which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cross the finish line, you are good. So even to this church, to everyone, every church, if you look at it, that's what God is talking about. It's at the individual level. Usually it's at an individual level, at the corporate level. What God is saying is that, hang in there. You got it all. Okay. Not only do you, if you go to verse 19, you will see what they have. Okay. It's, I told you, it's a very powerful commendation. I know your works. You have love. Unlike Ephesus, you have love. You have service. Okay. Remember, that's what he puts first. Okay. Faith that works through love. And if you do not have love, it doesn't matter what works you have. It will be all, it will be all cancelled out. It will be cancelled out. So he begins with this. You know what? Ephesus did not have you have. You got love. You got service. You got faith. You got true faith. You are, you have patience. You have hung in there in the midst of probably like all the churches are close by persecution. And not only that, you have increased in your works. Okay. Whether it is the internal, or whether it is the external, there has to be an increase. Okay? It's not the reach of your ministry, but the reach of your witness. Reach of your witness. Your witness becomes more and more powerful, authentic. And inside also you realize, you look at all the fruit of it, okay? You know that. You are growing in each one of this. You are aware. You are growing because, you know, Moses who was an extremely short-tempered person in his first 40 years. In the second 40, loses his temper only once. Only once. Okay, like I said, anger is a anger is a sign. Okay, anger is a very good symptom, like fever is. So God is talking about. No, because each one knows personally what we wear, what we are, and there is an increase. So he gives some discommendation. You know what? As for your works... I know your works, and he tells them. And as for your works, you know what? Today, you're much, much, much more active than you were before. Much, much more active. I know your works, how it is working. And meaning this church, this group, he says, if you start with the first one, you are much more loving today than you were in the beginning. But that's not usually what we see people. People become more and more unloving and hardened. And But that's what the Bible says, the love of many shall grow cold. But he says, you, your love has actually increased and the trouble hasn't lessened. Your peace has actually increased. The last are more than the first. The rewards, we will look at it on Friday.
Okay, so this morning keep theater. Remember, this is the longest letter Jesus writes. Okay, Jesus writes almost 12, 13 verses. Smyrna, remember, no indictment, only five verses. But this one, the longest because of the indictment. Come, let's have Peter and we shall pray. Of the coming of the Lord, He is trampling all the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He had loosed the fateful lightning of His terrible sword. His truth is marching
We just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. Your truth, your son, is that rock, Father. Blessed are those who fall upon him and are broken, lest he roll over us and crush us. The stumbling rock, rock of offense you have placed before men, O oh Father. That's your truth. Jesus, break it. You said you are the truth. Yes, you are the truth. And only the truth can set us free, Father. Oh, Father, even to the church in Thyatira, you had such stern warnings, O oh Lord. And you mentioned one word to that church, to every one of us. All of us do not have all the time. Thank you, Jesus. None of us know how much time we have left. Father, I pray we will redeem the time. Turn with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul to you. Thank you. Put away, as we heard yesterday, put away and put on Christ. Put away and put on Christ. This morning, Father, we just come to you. Yes. Once again, Lord, I surrender your church, your church. Yes. Here, everywhere, every person, everywhere into thy hands, O oh Lord. Oh, Father, I pray your hand will rest upon us this morning. However heavy it may feel, it's better that it's your hand and not another hand that rest upon us, oh Lord. Yes, Because that hand is the hand of power. It's the hand that can lift us up of every trouble, every despondency, every despair, every attack, every situation. That hand has a power. To lift a man or to cast Jezebel down. Lift us up this morning, Lord. Into your presence. Lift us up, Lord. Around the world, your children who are listening. Let there be a quickening, Father. Oh, Father, let the hand of God come upon his children. Oh, Father, when that hand came upon Elijah, we know what happened, Lord. When the hand of God came upon Nehemiah, he completed that wall in 52 days. Because he said, the good hand of the Lord is upon me. This morning, Lord, touch us. Touch, Lord, touch. Let everything that is not of you in our minds and our hearts be broken down. That is not of you, Lord. A lie may give comfort doesn't save. Truth may bring discomfort, but it saves. The word of God says, he who comes to you will be saved to the uttermost, O Lord. That's your desire for all of us. So 
we just thank you father for you are our shield our exceedingly great reward of our glory and the lifter of our heads we just thank you thank you thank you father be with all your children everywhere through this week yes may your presence be with us and your presence go before us once more in your house we stand we declare thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever Amen. Amen. Amen.